there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to Time for Coffee. Hope the new year is off to a great start. And for those of you who are coming off the summer, hope your reintroduction into the fall is going okay, isn't too rough for you. I want you to take a big, long slug of whether it's your latte like me or your uh, iced coffee or tea because we are settling down for another caffeinated career conversation. And today my guest is Ali Breland, who is a tech reporter, or you could also call him a staff reporter, tech policy reporter at the Hill newspaper. Ali, welcome Hi, to yeah. Time for Coffee. Hi, are you caffeinated <laughs> and ready to go? Hi, yeah. Thank you for having me. I have a just a big cup of black coffee, which is uh, the standard drink for reporters these days. <laughs> yeah, it's like the stereotypical, right? Like you, mu- you must have yeah. like a five o'clock shadow too when you're drinking <laughs> it, right? I, I do. Yeah. It's, uh, the beard is trendy now. So yeah, I always have like a bit of that and then the coffee and I, I look tired all the time. <laughs> kind of because I am, but yeah. I bet you are. You've got quite the beat, which I really want to get into the weeds on right now. Like what is a tech reporter? What do you do at the Hill newspaper? You know, let's, let's just start digging into it. Um, yeah, the the Hills tech reporter job is actually kind of a good um, representation of where the general tech beat is right now. There's a good Columbia Journalism Review article about how maybe the tech beat needs to be reformed because it's just so broad. There's so many different types of things that occur across the tech beat that we're all expected to cover. On any given day, I could be covering like obscure conspiracy theorists by Trump supporters uh, in the deep fringes of the internet, things like QAnon and Pizzagate, and then I can also be covering dense policy details of Mark Warner's plan to uh, potentially regulate tech companies that's happening in Congress. I did a story recently on the internet etymology of how abolish ICE went from an internet meme to mainstream policy. So I just run the complete gamut of everything, you know, under the sun. Um, and it's just a really, really large beat. Not every place is like that. Uh, the Post, and the Wall Street Journal and um, Reuters all have kind of more specialized reporters. But, uh, you know, certain places you'll just find a situation where you have to handle it. At all. That's where I am right now. I'm looking at your your CV and it says wrote and reported three to five daily news stories in addition to one to three analytical, more deeply reported stories weekly. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's thankfully it has been a actually no, I was gonna say it's been a bit of time since I did three of those in a week. That's not true. I did three last week. Yeah, every day is like a we have to write a good bit. Part of that too is because we're we're not behind a paywall, so we need more content. But that's part of the benefit, and that people see my stories, and I've been able to gain more of a reputation um, by not being behind that paywall, like my colleagues are at Politico or National Journal. So, how do you pick your stories? That's a good question. Um, I think because the beat is so broad, sometimes I get some flexibility. There are certain things that it's like absolutely expected that I cover. If Congress does anything regarding technology that's like even moderately important, that 100% has to be handled and it's just an unwritten expectation. Usually I, I get it done before my bosses even notice that it's existed, which is why they have me is because I pay attention to those kinds of things. And then outside of that, we get those types of things. We get a little more leeway. So I'll just try to pick things I think are interesting and illustrate the most human aspects of technology. So uh, 
a good example of that was the Abolish Ice story. I thought they're very interesting characters making use of the internet in a very in technology in a very interesting way to drive a new policy in kind of unprecedented way. The only time I think that we've really seen um, a sort of activist movement rise up like that was with Black Lives Matter, and then to, in a different sort of way, the Me Too movement. But those things are still fairly new, and I don't know if there's a lot of examples like that. Another story I did was how Yelp is becoming a tool um, in the culture war versus with the in the left versus the right and what they want culturally and politically. I think there were really interesting characters there kind of trying to manipulate the platform and people were interacting with technology in a really interesting new way. So things like that really interest me and that's what I gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. We should probably tell Java junkies that The Hill is more of a politically kind of policy-oriented publication. That's true, yeah. So in terms of the way that you you know, you're, you not just pick your stories, but then write them. Are you always thinking about that policy angle? Definitely. Um, and that's something too, that my editors really want to make sure that they push. When I started talking with them about um, the Abolish Eye story, they made it clear that the tech was important and they know I'm a tech writer, but they also wanted to make sure that like the political dynamics were very, um, got, were got to very quickly in the story and were very high up among the story's priorities. Um, and so that informed a lot and even also like the hills specific style and the way we write is something that like adjusts how i can cover certain stories and whatnot we don't get the the flexibility of uh of a magazine to sort of write these sort of like meandering and maybe interesting stories it has to fit it has to definitely be like news and then it has to feel like a newspaper story that you would see in in you know any sort of newspaper um obviously adapted a little bit to the hill specific style but that that definitely informs a lot of how we pick and how we end up executing these things i remember when i was a journalist and i had just come back from being a foreign correspondent to cover the state department one of the things that my supervisors kept talking about was andrea put it in context yep. put that story in context <laughs> How how do you, as somebody who didn't study technology, put your stories, or for that matter, politics, how do you put your stories in context? In a way, that's that's kind of helpful. Not I'm not advocating for anyone to be a Luddite who's trying to cover technology, but um, I understood it from the perspective of someone who's well-informed, who followed it, um, even though I wasn't studying it. And I mean, if I did know the technical details of technology, which I do for some things, like that translates out to like maybe me explaining specifically how the code works. And the the really deep details of that are not that useful, but understanding the sort of abstractions and the ideas behind them are useful. And I did in high school study computer science AP, which kind of helped me down that correct path. And then even though I didn't study anything really technical in college, I did understand humanities or I did study humanities, which gave me a good basis to sort of like look at the sociological implications of technology and be able to understand it from that lens. And that's been really useful for providing context in a way that can make sense to people, um, especially people that haven't studied computer science or haven't studied engineering or things like that. You mentioned getting 200 emails a day. Can you just kind of put that into, I guess, a, a rundown of the typical day on the tech beat for you? 
So, I mean, I wake up and I look at my email and I've usually been getting PR pitches from the evening before. Sometimes editors are sending emails across, um, kind of communicating with each other, but in a way that is visible to everyone. So I'll be looking at those things. I'll ignore a lot of the emails that are not relevant to me. Um, I kind of just scan the subject lines to see what it is or isn't. And then I'll go from there. And then from there, I begin to check Twitter just to see what I've missed. I'll check a couple of websites that are uh, key for technology just to see if there's anything that I need to jump on really quickly. And then if, if there's nothing there, I'll take a second to kind of like slow down, get on with the rest of my morning and then like do the things I need to do, get dressed, drink coffee. And then um, I'll try to read a, a longer story, at least a thousand words on tech to kind of like slow my mind down and kind of like look at the broader picture of things. And also those are the stories I ultimately want to write more. So I think it's just good practice to, to always be engaging with the material that you ultimately want to do. Um, and then from there, I'll either, if I'm on deadline, I'll start calling people vigorously to try to like hash out the details of the story. Sometimes I'm calling people in a less urgent manner, trying to figure out certain details of a story that I might be interested in. If I'm chasing a, a scoop on some sort of um, new hearing or if I've heard you know, if uh, someone's getting subpoenaed to testify before Congress and I'm chasing that down, then I'll be calling different people. Um, and then a lot of it's just me quietly typing and writing what I've accrued on the phone or I've seen on the internet and uh, turning it into my editors and making sure that it all gets out in time. Again, thinking back to when I was in, in your field, I remember that feeling of waking up in the morning thinking my day was going to go in one direction and then seeing, and of course, when I was a journalist, Twitter wasn't really part of my life, but like, holy cow, you know, you see whether it was the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or NBC News has a story that now they probably worked on for days, but I have to try to match it today. Yes, that is. <laughs> it's always like playing catch up and adapting. And at this point, I because of Twitter and because of how fast the news cycle is, I don't even go in with expectations. I like I have an idea of what I might need to handle, but I totally expect that something else is going to get right in the way, and um, I'm not even surprised anymore. It's just I, it's almost a state of like I guess like constant nagging stress about that that you just kind of like learn to get past and use to create a sense of urgency to kind of light. A fire under your own butt. How do you manage the stress of that? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think I'm just a, a naturally pretty relaxed person, which has just helped. Having a good hobbies outside of work is useful. Being able to exercise, I think, is really useful. Um, kind of like just taking the time to unplug after work has been really useful so that you can separate your mind so that you can come in more refreshed to put in better quality hours in the time that you are working. That's not possible every night. Sometimes you need to work until 7 to 9 p.m. if something happens later. Um, but making sure that you've kind of got the mental rest that you need so that when those moments do happen, you you have the bandwidth to handle that is, is really useful. Um, so just kind of like throwing yourself into things that you really like um, on the weekends too, just that really helps you a lot. I don't know. How did you handle it when you were, when things were going for you and you were in the throes of everything back in journalism? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. A lot of people don't need well. <laughs> to be honest, working for CNN, I, probably not so dissimilar to working for The Hill. You are on 24-7. And looking back, I mean, one of the reasons why I'm trying to as part of Time for Coffee, not just interview people like you who can share their professional lessons learned, but also interviewing people in the health, wellness, self-care space is so that Java junkies 
don't make the same mistake I did and are able at a younger age to start doing exactly what you said, Allie, like exercising, unplugging, helping to, you know, really keep your brain as relaxed as possible so that you don't get sick and get totally stressed out. And, you know, the, it starts snowballing from there. It is really useful because one thing I found too is uh, in college, your days are kind of different. Like you do different things, things move at a slower pace, even when you have a lot going on. And when you get into the working world, five days a week, you are in a single place a lot of the time. Journalism is nice because you do get some variability um, and your days kind of run out of your grasp and time starts to move really quickly and you can get caught in a sort of stressful cycle and just doing different things each night and every weekend can really help you break that and like gain clarity. I started hiking more on the weekends and then trying to snowboard in the winters and that really helped like slow time down for me um, and just like make me reflect on things outside of just working every single day. You are so smart, really smart. I'm so glad to hear that there are young people who are already incorporating this into their lives. That's just, you're going to be a much happier (laughs) 30 year old as a result for sure. I try my best. I still, I still find myself working some weekends. So like I'm not I don't always practice what I preach, but I do my best I do. That's all we can do, Allie. Hey, listen, we didn't talk about sources. Do you have time in your day to really cultivate sources? And why is that important? I mean, you're getting all these pitches from PR folks trying to get you to cover this story and that. So there's definitely no shortage of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, sources are extremely important. I guess part of the reason I didn't bring that up in my day-to-day is because I actually had, uh, injured my foot about four months ago. So my ability to travel around has been really limited and I have been taking way less source meetings because of that. But normally, yeah, I, I try to devote time in my schedule every week or every other week to kind of sitting down with new people or people that I've already established relationships with. And and they're so useful because those that's how you get the most important stories. Like everyone can kind of get, everyone can cover a hearing. Some people are definitely better at it than others. Some people can write quicker and notice better things. But ultimately, you know, you're in a body in a room doing a similar thing to everything else. What gives you more job security, what gives you an edge over everyone else is good sourcing and getting scoops and stories that either you get something early. For example, um, we tried to get the hearing early that Mark Warner is playing with tech companies. We ended up sort of getting the scoop on that. Um, But like another scoop that we got was just that Marissa Meyer was being subpoenaed to testify. And that was really those stories stories like everyone has to cite the hill was like the first person that, that reported on that that's really helpful that helps your reputation a lot it shows people that you get stories that no one else is getting and that gives you a huge edge in the game yeah for sure ali you uh went to ut austin and you were in plan to honors with a minor yeah. in english and philosophy can you <laughs> tell us what that was and and what you thought you were going to do when you graduated? Yeah, that's um, that's a great question. Everyone is very confused by Plan 2 unless you're from Texas. And even if you're from Texas, you really only know about it if you went to UT. It's um, it's the honors. So I guess it's like the, the primary honors program at UT, but you literally major in it. So my degree says Plan 2 on it. Rough regional equivalents, so like Michigan's LSA program, UVA's Eccles program, or USC's thematic option. And in kind of the tradition of those, it's a, you study a general core curriculum. 
I studied physics, English, philosophy in much smaller classes, um, kind of akin to going to a small liberal arts college, but within UT Austin. And so that just gave me this tremendous sort of like wide ranging breadth of knowledge. And then um, philosophy and English helped reinforce things I was already learning within plan two. Um, at the time, I went in kind of thinking that I wanted to be a screenwriter. I was really interested in writing generally. And I thought that that was the thing I wanted to do most. At a certain point, I kind of flipped towards journalism, um, not out of necessity, but just I think screenwriting is great. But I felt like I was very interested in politics and um, foreign policy and, and human rights issues. And I felt like I could do more work writing about or do better work personally for writing about those things and that I was more suited for that. But yeah, those studying those degrees has really helped me as a journalist because it's, it's certainly given me the tools to think creatively and write well. And it's given me uh, a really critical mind to ask good questions or look for angles that people don't ask necessarily look for, um, which I think has given me an edge in that specific way. What I would say to you is don't rule out the fact that you may get into screenplay writing at some point later in your life. Um, yeah, I'm not opposed to that either. That would be great. I, I think, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been on my list to kind of like try to learn how to do that. I need to, to really sit down with that. Nice. Nice. I mean, I, I'm on my fourth profession, so, you know. <laughs> So what did you, what was your first job out of school and how did you get it? My first job out of school was, um, it was an NPR internship. Um, and I got it by, I'd applied to so many internships throughout the course of college. I didn't get most of them, the vast majority, most of them, but I had applied to NPR probably. I applied to NPR every summer after starting my sophomore year. And the third summer, they finally noticed me and I got a final round interview for All Things Considered. They ended up not taking me, but they said, hey, you know, definitely contact us when you do apply again. And the fourth time when I applied in the winter, I think that combination of just having an application that had been built up over four years combined with like applying so many times and having someone to just let HR know that this guy's like been through the process before and he like is okay um, really helped a lot. And, but the way that I even got to that to begin with was just by applying so many times. And then before that, having a body of work, um, I had published op-eds with CNN and the Christian Science Monitor in addition to all the work that I'd been doing, uh, both in freelance, other freelance stuff, and then at the Daily Texan, which is the University of Texas's daily student newspaper. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm looking at your resume here. Can you tell our job the junkies, some of the stories that you wrote for for those outlets for CNN, the Christian Science Monitor, and HuffPost. Yeah, so the the CNN it was an op ed, and the op ed was right after um, the tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary where the students were killed. And, and the argument that uh, my friend and I made, who co wrote it, was was that this is unequivocally a tragedy. It's very very sad, and like these things should not happen in the United States. But we critiqued the point that a lot of people made about how it was surprising that it happened in Sandy at Sandy Hook and in the community in Massachusetts. And, how it shouldn't happen anywhere. Gun policy, um, regardless of your perspectives on what should be done, should be made with the acknowledgement that people in the south side of Chicago, uh, people in Camden, people on the, in the south central LA who are black, who are often overlooked by the media, are actually you know suffering a lot from gun violence. And that if you make policy, it shouldn't just be based on these isolated examples that are truly tragic and should be handled. It should be helping people who I guess, like focus on these things or deal with them every day. And then Christian Science Monitor story was just about how it was about campus carry. And it was just an argument that um, if you want to bring campus carry to the University of Texas, it should be done 
this is a democracy. It should be done with like the views of the students. The students at the time didn't want it. So that should be something that should be respected. Obviously not the case. They have that now. So my op-ed didn't do anything. But um, and then... Right. And that's all you can do. And then before that, too, I, I did some freelance work on um, I interviewed rappers. I did. I made a, a video interview of the, the French uh, electronic group Justice. I interviewed Aziz Ansari, actually. I did a Q&A with him for this website called Hype Beast. Um, just things like that. How did you how did you get them? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good question, actually. So the having the college newspaper is a really good place to start because you can pitch everyone or you can ask for access to all these different types of people and you can tell them, hey, I'm going to do this for the college newspaper. And if they say yes, then you have this interview ready to go. And then you can go to better outlets and say, hey, like I have this access for this. Do you want this story? And if they say yes, then you can just trade up that way before you your editors know that you have this thing. And so you really have never lied to anyone at any point. You just said, I have this thing and I can do this for you. And you can use that to kind of like gain your way to, to getting useful access. And then from that access, getting uh, bigger outlets to pick your stories up. I love this, uh, this internship that you did in, uh, in 2014 as a harvest intern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I worked at a winery. Um, I did manual labor at a winery and I learned how to make wine and it ended up being not being related to anything that I ended up doing. But it was really useful in that the first actual job I got after that NPR internship at Politico, pretty much the entire internship or the interview was just spent talking about my time studying abroad in Istanbul and then my job at the winery. And that ended up getting me the job because it was just so interesting and different. Uh, and the fact that you were working 10 to 12 hour days, six days a week. That's uh, really helpful for making my work ethic better, I can tell you. <laughs> were you crushing the grapes with your feet? What were you doing? No, but I was crushing the grapes with, uh, I was put in a, a basket on top of a forklift and they would lift me to the top of these enormous vats. And I had this joystick that I would use to control this machine that I would smash the grapes with. And so that was some of it. I was like moving barrels. I was moving the bins that uh, grapes came in. I was cleaning them out. All surprisingly heavy things. Um, I was cleaning the barrels with steam. Just anything you can imagine related to like wine or barrels I was doing. Has it made you appreciate wine more or hate it? (laughs) It's made me appreciate it. It's also made me appreciate the work that I do now. Um, Especially at that rung, if you're a wine, if you're an actual winemaker, assistant winemaker, you're making some of the more, uh, I guess, like intellectual decisions. But when you're on that level of the totem pole, you're just working with your hands all day and not your mind. And so I really appreciate working with my mind. I'm really grateful that I have the opportunity to think my way through all these things now. Allie, how did you leverage your NPR internship as the identity, you know, within the identity culture unit to your next job at Politico as a web producer? Um, yeah, I so I think that the way that came because we didn't really talk about that that much in my interview at Politico, but I think that for them it was a stamp of approval. A major media outlet had decided that I was you know, good enough to be there. And for them, that probably helped them see that, oh, okay, like this guy is, he can, you know, do it at the the sort of like highest level. And then the specific work I did didn't cross too much over with anything I did at Politico. But I think it, above all, it was just a sign that um, I'd already been vetted. So Politico knew that like I was okay to do work on, on the national stage. Did you just send out, like, did you respond to a job that you saw posted or how did that, how did that position? It was actually position? networking. One of my good friends was leaving that job because she had gotten uh, a 
a similar job, but that was a little bit, um, had more responsibilities, was higher paying at CNN. And so she was like, hey, this is going to open up because I'm leaving. I can recommend you for it. And I sent in my application and they interviewed me because of that. I did well enough talking about wine to Istanbul to get the job. So. <laughs> you mentioned networking. Yeah. What advice do you have for Java junkies who may find the idea of networking to be really intimidating? Um, yeah. So it's natural for it to be intimidating and that's okay. There's a lot of people who do want to help you. Um, some people might ignore your emails. That's okay. Everyone's really busy. Everyone has different reasons for doing that. They might not have anything against you. Um, but some people will take the time to sit down with you. And um, I think a lot of people feel like networking is this sort of uh, dirty word. Um, and it, it's sort of transactional. And if you have issues with that, that's that's good. That means that I think that you're a very conscientious person. But like you can network with people in a way that like I try to network with people who I, I sincerely do like and want to have conversations with. So then it becomes less about networking and just establishing relationships with interesting people who also happen to have these professional goals that you um, want to aspire to have. Um, and it also they don't have to be above you. You can quote unquote network with your peers um, by just end up, you know, being friends with people who are in different roles, who can help you with things. Um, and you don't, like my friend who helped me with a job at Politico, I didn't become her friend because I thought she could get me a job. I became her friend and we established a relationship because she was an interesting person that I happened to like and we had the same interests and it just worked out that she could help me at some point. Allie, I try to ask most Time for Coffee guests about this question as a way to help Java junkies appreciate that we all go through ups and downs in our professional life and some of us in our personal lives. And I recognize that you're still relatively early in your professional career, but has there been a time for you where, you know, whether you had a challenging supervisor or a difficult colleague or whatever the case may be, where you really had to dig deep to find the the will to keep putting one foot in front of the other and how you came out the other end? I've dealt with a couple of difficult situations. And in one of them, I, I wasn't able to kind of come up and, and successfully handle it the way that I wanted to. And I will say that in, in the situations, you need to listen to your gut and like understand and adapt to the situation. In the first situation, that's pretty difficult for me. I thought that I could, you know, just put my head down and work my way through it and work harder, and that would silence everyone. And sometimes you do have to play the political game of understanding the best way to handle that. And sometimes simply working hard is not the best way to do it. Sometimes you need to advocate for yourself and like let people know that there are specific issues that you're dealing with um, that are coming from certain places, and that maybe people are playing politics a certain way and try to shut that down by being vocal. But and, and then other times where I've dealt with difficult situations, you know, I've had bosses in the past who initially were disappointed with my level of progress. And it had just so happened that I had done all of the work that I could do. And in that moment, when they were talking to me, I didn't have much to show for it. But literally within days, I all of the work I'd done prior finally manifested itself. And I had, you know, three scoops, three really good scoops in a week that were better than anything I'd done before, because I'd been putting in all the time and the hours. And so it's a kind of, and in that sense, working hard and working my way through it really paid off. So I, I guess like the main thing is to really figure out what the issue is, figure out the best way to adapt to the difficult situation, understand is working hard going to get me through this is letting someone know who can maybe help me because this is a political situation more than it is a situation about me or my work, figuring out what that issue is, and then not ignoring it and actually coming through on it and not 
just deluding yourself into thinking that the wrong answer will solve it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so final time for coffee question for you recognizing that you only graduated in 2014. But, you know, if you could go back and do the college experience all over again, based on the wisdom that you have today, what would you do? What advice would you give yourself? Um, I would make more time to read. I think I would both in my leisure time, but also read the assigned text more. I would have spent, I think, more time just reading all these books that we were supposed to read. Um, I read a lot of them, but uh, maybe not in as deep a way as I wanted to. I wish I'd probably also done more at the college newspaper instead of kind of getting by on a couple interesting freelance stories every so often. Um, and then occasionally doing the paper, just really putting myself in and getting more out of that experience. I think I could have gained editing skills that I didn't quite get yet. Things like that, like take the most of everything that's like in front of you. And I, I think I did a good job. I, I certainly wasn't lackadaisical in college at all, but yeah, I could have, I could have done those things better. And uh, I didn't take advantage of everything to the fullest. Also compartmentalizing time. That was a big issue that I had in college that I have gotten better at that I wish I had just addressed now or I'd done better back then. It's just understanding like put in, you know, three solid hours of hard work on a freelance story or your your schoolwork and then browse the internet afterwards. Don't try to make everything just one big session of browsing the internet, studying, doing work all at the same time. Um, it's easy to not do anything when you do things that way. Seems like common sense at the time I even knew that that's how you're supposed to do things, but I just didn't do it. That is such great advice. And um, I don't know if the name Brian Solis means anything to you, but I just interviewed him this week. And in fact, he's writing a book about that very thing, about how to manage tech, how to manage your phone and how mm-hmm. all this information is coming at us and how challenging it is to be effective in your, whether it's your school or whether it's your work, because we're so distracted. Yeah. It's, college is a great place to establish those habits. So if you can do that successfully, like it becomes a breeze afterwards. I had to play catch up, which was fine, but you know, it would have been good to have those skills prior. Well, Allie Breland, you are a really special guy and I greatly appreciate you making time for coffee with me and the Java Junkie community today. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on and you know, I hope this is helpful for people who are trying to come up through journalism and figure it out. I'm sure it will be. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.